You know, I was sitting out here this evening and I was um, asking myself the question. It's sort of a rhetorical question, which means I'll answer it. But I was asking myself the question, so why are people here tonight? Why do people come? And I, I'm going to make it a basic assumption that you're here tonight because you want more from life. That you're here tonight because you're looking for more of spirituality, more of Christ, more of God, more of Christianity. I mean, obviously you knew this was a church. Maybe you didn't know what kind of church it was. Certainly a little bit of a rock and roll church, but that's okay. But the fact of the matter is that I would venture a guess that every person in the auditorium tonight is here <clears throat> because they either want to continue to deepen and develop their spiritual life or because you're searching for something more. And I want to talk a little bit about that something more tonight. I've been doing a series entitled The Revolutionary Life, but I want to clear something up in case there's been any confusion about this. The revolutionary life is the Christian life. And the Christian life was meant to be a revolutionary way of life. And what's happened in the society that we live in, so much of Christianity has been twisted. So much of Christianity has been misrepresented. So much of Christianity, for many people, is just a spectator sport. It's something they sort of they do on Sunday, they go to church, they appease their moral conscience or some desire for piety, and then they leave, and the rest of the week is normal, just like the rest of the world lives. Now, I want to talk with you tonight about one of the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ, and it's related to money and possessions. Jesus' revolutionary teachings on money and possessions. And I really believe the Lord wants to say something significant to us because my personal opinion, based on uh, really the obvious, I will state the obvious, is that we are an extraordinarily greedy nation. And let's get any more specific. We're extraordinarily greedy people. We don't think of ourselves as greedy because we don't define greed the same way that God does. We think of greed as the corporations, particularly big oil, who fluctuate the price 25, 30, 50 cents a day. They rake in record profits. They know Katrina hit New Orleans. They know that uh, little dictator Chavez down in Venezuela kind of has us by the throat. And we can't do a lot about it. So they're raking in the money. <clears throat> and we point our fingers at them and say, that's greed. And I would agree. It's greed. <clears throat> but I would also agree that there's a lot more greed that God wants us to understand and free us from. Greed is enslavement. Greediness is enslavement. And we live in the single greatest debtor nation that has ever lived. 
I would venture a guess <clears throat> that at least half the people in this room are struggling with credit card debt, if not even more. Christmas is coming up. I really hope that this message tonight will avert a Christmas disaster for you. But you are going to be bombarded <clears throat> by the most well-oiled, well-financed propaganda machine called advertising, called the malls, and they're everywhere, and they are modern-day temples calling out to you. You need this. Come see this. Wouldn't this look good on you? And it calls out, and it calls out, and it calls out. And it's gotten to the point that for Christmas, the only way we think we can show love for others is to go in debt. Now, we don't think that way because, you know, if you actually put it that way, you'd go, geez, Mark, I don't really believe that. But by the way we live, we really believe it. <clears throat> and Jesus had some very, very, very interesting things to say about money and possessions. And the interesting thing is, <clears throat> they're as revolutionary today as they were 2,000 years ago. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Some about the dryness of this room. I know it's the candles. They're drying out my hair. <clears throat> I'm teasing. Joe, could you put a little more in here for me, if it's possible? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we think to ourselves, I've traveled to different places in the world and, and I've been to a few third world countries where they don't have a lot of money. But it's interesting that no matter where you go in the world, everybody wants more. Human nature is human nature. But in America, <clears throat> particularly in the United States, we have refined the art of greed. We have refined the art of consumerism. We've ref refined the art of marketing. I happened to catch a business analyst the other night on TV, and he was talking about <clears throat> all the debt. There was in, well, I think it was 2001, $271 billion of, um, I think he was saying credit card debt, and three years later, four years later, there's $801 billion, almost close to a trillion dollars, just in the last three years. We're bombarded all the time <clears throat> with things that we don't need, but we think we need. All the time. And this gentleman made this statement. He said, look, the fact of the matter is that if Americans really began to live in a wise way, and that is by saving some money, our economy would grind to a halt. And he said, it's really a scary thought. If they start to do what they ought to do, what would be wise financial practices, the nation will be in a lot of trouble. Well, let me tell you, the nation could be in trouble because I'm not going to stop living the revolutionary teachings of Christ. And my desire is to get as many people as I can living the revolutionary principles of Jesus Christ. Because there's something more important than the things you can put your hand on. Than the thing you can possess. And Jesus wants to give us real life. This is the whole message of Christ. is a message of life. I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. But the world system that, that you and I operate under or that we're within is run by someone very different. 
The world system that you and I are subjugated to, if you allow yourself to, is not run by God. It is not run by the principles of God. It is run by the principles of Lucifer himself. And his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. His desire is to rob you of the life you could really have if you lived it God's way. And that's part of what Christ came to reveal, was a revolutionary way to live. So Jesus, he's saying this to literally thousands of people. Do not store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in to steal. Store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your eye is the lamp of your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul. But an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. If the light you think you have is really darkness, how deep that darkness will be. I want to pause on that little thought for a moment. A lot of times we don't understand that when, they read, when we read that. The eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, the body follows whatever the eye is fixed upon. Whatever the eye is fixated on. And the eye... The eye is what we lust with. The eye is what we crave with. The eye is what we want to see. We see things and we want to possess them. We covet with the eye. When the eye is fixed on earthly treasures that we want, our heart gets wrapped up, our treasure becomes the things of this life, and our eye becomes polluted and our body no longer is full of life and full of light. It's full of darkness. Whatever the eye is fixed upon, the body will follow. And Jesus is speaking <clears throat> to this focus of life. No one, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. <clears throat> now, why does it say... You'll hate one, despise the other. Why can't you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that? Because the principles of money and the principles of God are diametrically opposed. God is a master and money is a master. And they operate under different rules. And so if you fall in love with money, and this is not, let's, let's be honest, there's not a person here tonight is going to say, I'm in love with money. You're in love with what a little more money could get you. John Paul Getty was once asked, how much money's enough? He said, just a little bit more than I have. Just a little bit more. You cannot, Jesus said, you cannot, not, hey, I think I can outsmart Jesus and find a way to do both. You can't. Michael Jordan thought he could play two sports well. <laughs> yeah, okay, Mike. He paid his own salary to play baseball. He couldn't hit the ball, and it was a disaster. Mike went back to what he did best. But it's tempting, isn't it? Deion Sanders tried the same thing. He was a little bit better at it. But, but with God, you cannot serve God and money. Money is the master of this world. Money is the master of this world. And you cannot serve both masters. So I tell you, 
Don't be all caught up and worried about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, or clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your Heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to Him than they are. Can your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he surely care for you? Oh, you of little faith. And that's what it comes down to. And we'll get to this in a minute. It comes down to our faith. It comes down to we really believe God is a great provider. It comes down to we really believe and are we really willing to risk in this revolutionary life, which is real Christianity, trusting God? Or as my father used to tell me, see, you know, Mark, you can't trust anybody but yourself. Manna doesn't rain down from heaven. You're going to have to make things happen in your life. And if you don't, God won't take care of you. It's exactly what my father told me when I was 19. And I'll get to some stories in a little bit related to that. Don't worry, Jesus said. So don't worry about having enough clothing, food, drink. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today, and God will give you grace for today. Will you make the kingdom of God your primary concern? Will you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern? Now, Jesus is speaking these words, and His intention was that every true Christian would live from a biblical worldview. There was no exceptions. Jesus didn't sort of go, okay, now I just want you all to know something, disciples. I got my really, 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 really hardcore message for those of you that want the deeper, deeper life. And I got sort of my in-between message for those of you that kind of like, oh, you know, shallow but deep and shallow. And then over here a few wimps, I got the carnal Christian life. You get to heaven, but that's it. <laughs> I mean, but you know, we live that way. That's the way the whole Christian life in America is tiered. There are relatively few, but there are a few. I would say the number in the millions. Probably not beyond 10 million in the United States out of 280 million people who truly want to live the teachings of Jesus Christ. And then there's probably another 80, 90 million who simply are content to carry a big old Bible, you know, under their arm to church. And they got their notebook, their King James Version usually, or the New King James. And they got their suit on. And they drive their fancy car to church. And they shake a few hands. Now, that's if it's an evangelical church. If it's a Methodist church or a Lutheran church or Catholic church, generally speaking, I'm generalizing. They don't carry a big old Bible. But they walk in. They hear a nice little message about environmentalism or no more nukes or quit cutting down trees. 
Really, I'm serious. There's all brands of churches in the city. You get whatever you want. I'm just telling you a few of them. Or there's some, you know, we just God loves every faith. Every faith will get you to heaven. And it's nice and it's wonderful. And then they get in their car and they go home. And then the process of getting divorced from their spouse. Or the kid is a cutter. Or the kids are high on drugs or can't stand mom and dad. And the family is absolutely shattered and broken. And you know it's a reality. Some of you grew up in that environment. Many of you grew up in that environment. I am not exaggerating what I am saying tonight. If anything, I am understating the issue. Jesus had one message. He didn't have two, he didn't have three, he didn't have five. He had one central message, and that is live the will of God as a lifestyle. Live the revolutionary Christian life. Live it in every century, in every generation, in every era. My teachings apply to the realities of your world. Not just the ancient world. These weren't just for a few, you know, like you 12 guys, you live them. These are the words of God. For a radical new community made up of revolutionary men and women who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, whose allegiance is to the King of Kings, and who are willing to die for His cause and live a life of radical sacrifice for the purposes of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want what I see going on. I want the revolutionary life. I want the reality of Christ in my life. I don't want to read about it, dream about it. I want to live it. I want to participate in it. And that is what I've been doing for 30 years. And that's why I'm here tonight talking to you about it. If I had not been involved in it for 30 years, I would not open my mouth about it tonight. But I can tell you for a fact that God can do and will do things in and through your life if you'll let Him that you'd never dream. If you're willing to live the will of God as a lifestyle. And it relates so much <clears throat> to our money and possessions. Do not lay up treasure for yourself on earth. God's not against treasure. He just tells you not to lay it up here, but to lay it up in heaven. That has ramifications. We'll talk about that in a moment. So we see here that Jesus is trying to give us and take that on. A whole different way of life than what we see our forefathers. You know what the book of Peter tells us? It tells us that the time is far done for us to live the feudal way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. The feudal way of life. Now, Let's just be honest. How are most of our relatives living? They are... Certainly, they brush their teeth like we brush our teeth. They eat food like we eat food. But, but you know the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says the righteous man eats to live. The wicked man lives to eat. Do you see a big difference there? That's a big difference. That's a big difference. If you take a long, hard look at America right now, you've seen the news stories. Please don't shoot the messenger. It's pretty obvious we have a problem in this country with eating. You know why? 
We don't really care about the starving world around us. All the extra calories that we take in that could be shared with others. It's about greed. It's about our want for more. We want more. We want more. We want more. We eat far more than we need. Most people possess far more than they need because it's way past what I need. It's about what I want. What I want. We've crossed way over in the land of luxury and extravagance years ago. And that's the land we want to live in. Jesus and the apostles and the early church did not live in that land. They lived with different principles. They lived with different values. And God wants those things to still apply to you and I today. In Luke chapter 16, I don't have time to read this whole passage, but I will explain it to you. But you can absolutely confirm these passages reading them yourself. Jesus tells a story about this man. He's called the shrewd manager. And he worked for this guy. And the guy he worked for found out he was cheating. And so he's going to fire him. This guy happened to be in charge of the money and the bill collecting for the company of his boss, the owner. So he went to the people. Let's just pretend that he sold heating oil to businesses. So he goes to the business. He goes to Bob over. He says, Bob, he says, listen, George, the owner's going to fire me. He says, but I still have a little power left. And you bought 500,000 barrels of heating oil last year. I'm going to change that bill right now to 200,000 barrels of oil. How would that be with you? Great. So he cuts his bill less than half. Then he goes to Tom. Then he goes to, you know, Bob. And then he goes to all these other guys. When the owner saw what he did, geez, this is what Jesus said. He commended the manager because he was so wise. And then Jesus said, the people of this world are wiser than the children of light with regard to the use of money. So then, and, and what, what was this man doing? This man was reasoning. He said to himself, I'm too proud to beg. I can't dig ditches. If I don't make some friends for myself who will give me some handouts because I saved them so much money, I won't survive. Jesus commended him. But then he said this. He said, use your money to win friends for yourself so that when your money fails, your friends will welcome you into eternal dwellings. What is Jesus saying? And then you know what he goes on to say? For he was faithful in a little thing will be faithful in much. And he was unrighteous in a little thing will be unrighteous in much. And if I cannot trust you with someone else's money, why would I give you true riches? True riches are people's lives. Jesus is saying part of what you and I are to use our income for is to fund things to win other people to Jesus Christ. So when this world fails, it's all gone. All our money's gone. Our treasure is in heaven. And when we pass through the other side, there's Samantha, and Mary, Tom, John, Robert. Welcome this. Do you remember that meal you bought me that time you took me out to lunch? You remember that money that you gave to that cause or to that church? Well, it helped support that church and they won me to Christ and I'm here instead of hell. 
Do you get it? Do you understand? Let me put it another way that maybe will make sense. The truth of the matter is, is that if Jesus were a political candidate and our goal was to try to get him elected to office, there's not enough money in the coffers to run his campaign because the Christians are hoarding the money God gave them in the first place. And they are spending it frivolously on their own selfish, pathetic desires. Our job, the kingdom of God, is to get Jesus elected to the heart of every person. They voluntarily put Him on the throne of their life. And the coffers are broke. We can barely advance the gospel. Churches all across the city, I happen to know, really good churches are making cutback after cutback after cutback because Tom and Mary and Sam would rather drive their third Lexus with their five-car garage than give the money that they owe to God. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Now, there's also a number of charlatans, not only here in this city, but around the country that you see on TV. Charlatan ministries, swine, filthy liars who will pay a tremendous price for their lying, pathetic, prosperity, gospel crap. Who got their million dollar Rolls Royces and their two million dollar cabins on a lake and their pinky finger diamond rings worth $50,000 that could feed an awful lot of people and God will judge them severely. But for you and I, God has a plan and a will for our life if we are willing to live the revolutionary life. First Timothy chapter 6, very, very interesting passage. I want to read it to you because it gives us some insight. <clears throat> True godliness. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Godliness, knowing God, going after God with contentment. What does contentment mean? It means being satisfied with what you have. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. So you're really rich. The power of contentment makes you so rich. So rich. To be able to sit in your chair or lie in your bed whatever your circumstances might be, and say, thank you, Lord, for a place to sleep. Thank you, Lord, for a roof over my head. That's true wealth. We think true wealth is dreaming and hanging on our wall what we want, what our goal is, and one day I'll have it, and I'll build that house, and then we get there and we find out our poverty. See, in the kingdom of God, everything's the opposite of the world. It's all the opposite. Godliness with contentment is being really rich. After all, we didn't bring anything into this world when we came into it. And we certainly can't carry anything out when we die. So if we have enough food and clothes, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money. 
is at the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, what's profound about this passage is the contrast. The contrast. Jesus said, says here in this passage, if you have enough to eat, you have clothes on your back, you have a place to stay, that's the concept there, a shelter, roof over your head, be content. Then the very next line he says, but people who long to get rich, the only conclusion you can draw contextually is that getting rich, wanting riches, is wanting more than what you need. But we don't think that way. We read that and we go, I don't want to get rich. Jeez, Mark, I don't want to get rich. I say, you know, I, I'd like a little more than I have. But I don't want to get rich. Donald Trump wants to get rich. Bill Gates wants to get rich. The tree runs free well. He's got to provide for his family. I'm not like those guys. Jesus said, if you have food, clothes, roof over your head, be content. Now, I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to get to the realities of what this means in our modern world. And I want to explain this in a few moments, but I want to just interject this. This does not mean if your car breaks down, there's not time to go get a different car. Jesus did not mean, because of the teachings in the scripture, that you don't save for future needs. The problem is, we are so addicted to spending our money, we don't even have any money to save. And because we don't save, and we're so addicted to spending, we don't have money to be generous, as the Bible commands us, and share with others. Because we have nothing to share. Oh, oh, but we're all, the whole Christian world is like, oh, but, oh, I'm so willing. I... You know, if I just have a little more, Mark, you just don't understand my circumstances. Now, I'm going to explain some circumstances that I've been through in my life. Maybe we'll understand a little bit of what poverty can be like, what you can still do in poverty. Whether you have a lot or a little, you can still be generous. And I'll tell you something I've experienced firsthand. I've experienced some of the poorest places I've been in the world, one of them in Honduras, which rates as one of the poorest countries in the world. Some of the most generous, happy people in my life. Some of the most generous, happy Christians in my life. And they barely have anything. Lastly, this verse. Look at this, what, what Jesus says. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. That's the command for excess money. Beyond what we really need. Do good with it. And in doing good with it, you're investing it in heaven and you're going to die a very rich person. But if you use all that extra money beyond what you need... Here, for you, you're going to die a very poor person. And not only you're going to die poor and that there will be no eternal wealth waiting for you, you will be an impoverished soul. The quality of your life that you've lived will be impoverished. Tell them, to use their riches to do good. They should be rich in good works 
and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a foundation for the future so they take hold of real life. It's everything I just said. Real life. The generous person takes hold of real life. What does the Bible say? That Christ, though He was rich through His poverty, we became rich. Though He was rich, He became poor. That through His poverty, we might become rich. That's the example Jesus said for us in Mark chapter 4, verse 18. I won't read it, but it's the last verse I'll quote, and then we get some, just some things I want to go through, practical things for you to think about. Mark chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus gives this, this story of the sower and the seed. And you may have experienced this in your life. You've come to Christ, you've started to grow, but the worries of life, the desire for other things, the lure of wealth, Jesus said, and the desire for nice things grows up in your life and chokes the word of God and you become an unproductive, fruitless Christian. I want to have you raise your hand, but ask yourself, is that the reality of your life? It's the reality of countless millions of people in this nation. The desire for nice things. Man, it's just, it just can grab you. Can't, you can be sitting there, you know, minding your own business. Maybe you're watching the news, checking on the weather. And the next thing you know, you're bombarded with images that are, that are completely designed to play on our lust for more. Our lust. Lust is not just about sex. That's just one little itty-bitty thing we can lust for. You know, I'm going to say something that's really going to get me in trouble tonight, but I just have to say it. There's an awful lot today being said about men and pornography. And I'd be the first one to commend people who are seeking to free men from that addiction and are speaking out against it because it's a scourge in this nation. But ladies, lest you think you're off the hook, and nobody's had the guts to say this, you know what I see? Your major issue is shopping. And you just think that, you know, we can just stroll through the mall, kill some time, and it just fuels our lust for something. As Tammy Faye Baker said, you know, shopping soothes my nerves. Well, pornography soothes men's nerves. Lusting after women serves their nerves. Who are they hurting? They're not actually involved with the real woman. And we go out, and, and I'm not saying there's not a time to shop for what you need. But any retailer worth their salt will tell you we make most of our money because of your impulsive buying. You know it, and I know it. And yet we have these temples all over this city and all over this nation. And we go, and we spend hours and hours. And it's like it's fuel, and we're there. And nobody has the courage to say, hey, you know, can we step back from this a moment and just evaluate this? Is this really necessary? Is this really a good use of time? And does it not create in us, all of us, male and female, a desire for things that we know we can't afford, we really don't need, but it sure would be nice to have. And the next thing you know, 
that credit card at the front door looks really good, and now I can go get what I dream about. Folks, I'm not saying this like to be downing. I'm saying it because I love you, and I'd love, by the grace of God, to be able to cut the chains in your life that are enslaving you to this vile, decrepit, perverted system. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And you shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. If you're willing to embrace the truth, if you're willing to come into the light, God can set you free. The Bible says the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Let me go through a few practical things for today in the modern world. See, Jesus' teachings should affect our choices. That's the first thing to understand. Jesus' teachings should affect our choices in life. Not, our, not just, you know, we sit around and we like to argue about doctrine. Christianity should affect my life choices. First choice is to adopt a biblical worldview. That there's good, there's evil, there's heaven, there's hell, there's God's system, there's the world system. There's foolish and there's wise, there's righteous and there's unrighteous. And I could go on and on. I could sit here all night with you talking about this stuff. I really could. There's that much to talk about. Third, live frugally. Whatever era you live in, frugality is a biblical principle. Through the book of Proverbs, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. Live frugally. Thriftily. Ask yourself, is this a want or is this a need? And if you're not sure, walk away and think about it. Don't be bought, you know, kind of just swept off your feet by the charlatan. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I say it won't last. Every time they tell me, they go, well, you know what? Then need my money then. I live without it. I gotta, th- I gotta think about that. I gotta think about that. If you're thinking about a car, you're thinking about a car, and you can't walk away from it, walk away from it. Don't ever think to, I can find you, I can find every single Saturday when I buy a newspaper for some of the coupons that you can clip out and some of the information about the city to kind of keep up what's going on in the city. I go to the transportation thrifties. There's not a Saturday that goes by that I don't circle at least ten phenomenal deals on cars. See, let me tell you the upside of sin. This is really cool. The upside of sin is that all those people out there get discontent really fast. And if I save my money, I can go take stuff from them for a song and a dance. I saw recently a 2002 car with 48,000 miles on it. I called the people. car gets 40 miles a gallon. They want $3,000 for it. That car right now is selling for $15,000. The car will easily go another 100,000 miles. Easily go another 100. Well taken care of. I know the questions to ask. People just, they went out of it because they want something else. When it came time to buy a much of the furniture for my house, I just went through the newspaper. Why? You're not, you're not going to well, don't take this wrong. Well, why? Because people are getting divorced. They don't like their furniture anymore. 
I can show you furniture every Sunday in the paper. Mission Oak in a new condition for less than a fourth of what the people paid for. And of course, praise God for Ikea, because if you really want to live frugally, you just go to Ikea. If you like putting your own furniture together, which I don't, but if you did, you just put it together and you got some good furniture. Ikea is kind of the Walmart of the world for furniture. Walmart happens to be my favorite store because I'm a frugal fanatic. I'm a frugal fanatic. You see, that's how you give yourself a raise. That's how I collect more money for the things that really matter to me most. Separate wants from needs. Avoid things that are truly unnecessary. Like, again, some of this is going to get... I, I hope you understand what I'm trying to do here tonight. I have to give some practical examples, but, you know, I'm the kind of guy... I've raised four kids. I never had cable. I never had cable. I mean, do I really need to put out 80... You know, they always tell you, for thirty nine ninety five for the first five months, you can get all these channels. Yeah, and then after that, it's jacked up to about sixty nine ninety five a month. Now, you know, sixty nine ninety five a month may not seem like a lot, but I can do a lot with that money. Especially when I add it to the lattes that I don't have to buy and the other things that they're not getting my money for. That's a lot of money. That money starts to add up. In fact, of the matter is, what we pay for cable, what most people pay for cable, could support two or three little kids with Compassion International or Christian Children's Fund. But we'd rather pay for 500 channels, of which we can only roster about two or three at a time anyway. And a lot of them, we wouldn't even want the channels, but they bundle them together and we don't have a choice. It's kind of an insane world in which we live. I like to point out some of the insanities. Live simply. Live simple life. Choose your lifestyle carefully. Choose your lifestyle carefully. Give generously. Avoid debt like the plague and learn to pay as you go. <clears throat> now, you may not be able to do that at this moment. First thing to do at this moment is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Get out of debt, then stay out of debt, other than basically your mortgage. And learn to pay as you go. Support Christ and His church financially. I mean, you think about the impact for good that the church can have in the world. The church is the revolution of God on the earth. The true church. Church full of Holy ones. Holy ones are true believers. People who have personally embraced Jesus Christ. There's a book, if you want to know the impact of Christ and the church in the world, there's a book entitled, If Jesus Had Never Been Born, by James Kennedy. Get the book. Read it. Reflect on it. Educate yourself. It'll open your eyes illuminate your mind. Christ should not be underfunded. Invest your time and your money in eternal things. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eye on eternity, not on what's down here. What's down here is, you know, I've shared this with you before, but maybe if I share it again, somebody probably haven't heard it. Remember when you were a little kid and you'd go to the grocery store? And always when you're walking out the door with mom's hand, there's those little gumball machines. And you're like, ah, and you're pulling them on. And now there's like 50 of them. Have you noticed that? 
Well, that's probably an exaggeration. There's at least 10 or 15 at Cub Food. They, they don't, I haven't seen them lately at Byerly's. It's too sophisticated. The price you pay for their stuff anyway is go to Cub. Go to Walmart Supercenter if you can find one. Go to Sam's, go to Costco for whatever you can. It's worth it even if you're single. But you go by and here's all these little gumballs. So the kid, you get the little 50 cents, right? You put the 50 cents in, you get the little toy, you get it home and it breaks. Then it every single time breaks or the kid loses it. How many of you walking by those gumball machines today are tempted to put 50 cents in? I didn't think so. Why? Because you put away childish things, right? Because you became a man. You became a woman. But have we really? The only thing that's changed is the trinkets cost more. The PDAs, the cell phone, the cell phone cover. It's always, don't you understand, that they deliberately hold back technology and they sell things to you and then they create a need for more. Like, it couldn't be just the iPod was enough. Just after they come out with the mini, you know, and you're thinking, oh, this is so cool, they come out with the micro. Yeah, and you're thinking, oh, crap, that extra, that extra millimeter, dang, that felt so much better in my pocket. I... Darn, I've got to go have it. Then just after the micro, those swine deliberately come out with video. They knew you'd go buy micro. They knew you had the original iPod. But now you need the video one. And you know, it's really not all that much money. Next thing you know, they'll come out with one that's a phone, a camera, a DVD. And an iPod. All because they're messing with you. It's a game to them. They are after your money. And you know what? It won't improve your quality of life one bit. All of my children are musicians. We grew up most of our life without even having, most of my life as a young father, without even having a CD player or a tape player in the house. Certainly never a real stereo. We might have bought a $45 boombox, and boy, I tell you what, we all love music, and we're all musicians. And I'm not saying you're wrong if you have a Bose system. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to get across to you is don't be swallowed alive by the system. Real life, Jesus said, does not consist of what we possess, but who possesses us. That's where life is. Who owns you? And you're either owned by the things of this world or by God. Pursue God rigorously. Pursue God rigorously. Always, always underline this, always live below your means. I bought my first home in 2000. And <clears throat> when I was uh, going to get the loan, you know, because you've got to get the loan and all that kind of stuff, because I didn't have hundred-some thousand dollars sitting around. I went to the loan guy and he said, well, first we've got to check your credit history, Mark. I said, okay. So, you know, I've never looked at my credit history. Just paid my bills. So he checks. He calls me up. He goes, well, let's see, Mark. I've been doing this like 30 years and I've seen like five other people have credit history like yours. I said, you mean it's that bad? He goes, no, I mean it's like A++. In fact, you could 
you could qualify for a lot more house than what you're looking at. Like by eighty or ninety thousand dollars more. And I said, Well, why? Well, well, it's an investment. I said, Yeah, but why? And he was really confused. So, so while he was tongue-tied, I said, we'll just call him Bob. I said, Bob, I don't need that house. I have two children that are soon to be married. That'll leave four of us in the house. I think 1,700 square feet is enough for us. And pretty soon, within, you know, eight years, they'll probably be gone. And the yard only takes 18 minutes to mow, and I'm not all about my lawn. And besides, the house is now worth 70000 more than I paid for it. Why do I want more? Well, Mark, because you can have it. I said, that's why you and I live different lives. When I went to buy appliances, I already told you some of the story, but I, I was buying these appliances because... A couple of them, one of them broke, the other one was getting ready to broke. They were 17 years old, and I thought, I'll just buy them all from one place at the same time, have them put in, slick, cool, be a done deal, they'll give me a good deal. So I, I got this, this flyer that came from Home Depot, and I found the fridge, the stove, and the dishwasher for all for approximately $1,100. All fit exactly, the right color, they all matched, they'd, be, they'd meet our needs. So I... I wanted to buy them from Warner Stallion, not Home Depot, because Warner Stallion puts them in free, delivers them free, and I don't want to mess with that stuff. i got other more important things to do. So I went in to see the place and see these and showed the lady the ad, and she goes, well, yeah, we have those. She showed them to me. And she looked at me and my wife, and my wife was with me. She goes, but do you mind if I show you this stove over here? I said, no, that's fine. So we walked over, and she shows me the stove, and it's $850. I said, well, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, does this stove with the 52 different settings make a baked potato better than this one? Really, because actually for years, once a week, one of our menu items in our home is baked potato. Has been for years. I have a very, 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 very simple diet. I eat the same things almost every week. Every day, all the time. I really do. I mean, why? This is the whole about, oh, you need variety. Look, just get a few fruits and a few vegetables. It, it doesn't have to be extravagant. I'm living proof, it doesn't have to be extravagant. She looked at me funny and she said, well, yeah. Yeah? I said, well, then I'll take that one. Because it's $500 less. And you've already told me that this one will last about 15 years. And this one lasts about 15 years. This one has bells and whistles we will never use. I do not need, and I certainly do not need the status. I didn't say this, but I'm already a prince. I'm already the king's kid. Where I'm going to live someday, you won't believe. I really don't need to prove anything with your $850 stove. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Because I chose those appliances... I still have thousands of dollars left in my bank account that I'm saving for other things that are needed, that I know are going to be needed, like shingles on the roof or like a car that's going to need something to it soon, 
so I don't get caught, figuratively speaking, with my pants down. I want to be ready. Live below your stream of income. Always live. Work. Get there. You may not be able to get there now. That's fine. Work towards that goal. I want to close with just a few simple thoughts. All right? I am almost 50. I'm telling you this for a reason. Most of you in this room are 30 or below. Not everyone, but by and away, almost everyone. Which means I'm old enough to be your dad. Which means I've lived a lot of life. And I've lived my life, quite honestly, quite differently than most of the people that you know. I'm not saying, you know, perfectly. I'm not saying, oh, Mark's goody two-shoes. I mean, for 30 years of my life, at 19, I decided to live this life. I decided I don't want to just go to church. I grew up going to church and all that kind of stuff. I decided I really want to live this. My father taunted me about it. Other people taunted me about it. They made fun of me. I remember my father saying, Oh, you know, Mark, it's easy for you to drive that 63 Ford Falcon now that you paid $300 for. It's all paid for. It's easy for you to work from 6 till noon every day at the machine shop. You don't have any obligations. You don't just, wait do you have a wife? Wait do you feel the pressure of a family? And I remember saying to him, you know what, uh, Dad, if God is God, then taking care of five kids or four or three or a wife is no different than him taking care of me now, is it? If there's no God, then we're all screwed. If there's a God, I'm right, Dad. If there's a God who parted the Red Sea, if there's a God who raised Jesus from the dead, then whether I'm me or a wife with three kids, the same promises work. He just kind of looked at me, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out. Well, let me tell you what. It's been 30 years. I got married with no money. No, you don't understand. I got married with zero money in the bank. I didn't even have a checking account at the time. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm saying I was that poor. I had just what I needed. The first year I was married, we grossed $4,500. Now, let me explain part of the reason why that happened. And because of choices that I was making because I wanted to get into ministry. See, I chose my vocation. And I was not going to deviate from what I believe God wanted me to do. But secondly, Kathy and I decided to live a biblical roles lifestyle. And my wife conceived three weeks after we got married. And we determined together on the authority of the word of God that she was going to stay home with our children. So we didn't have a second income. And besides, Kathy's back was really bad and she couldn't have taken on a job. She was that sick. I had my first three children with no insurance of any kind. I'm not telling you to do the same. Most of your jobs today provide you, or many, with health care. I did not have it. I inherited immediately, because of my love for Kathy, her $8,000 student loan. I was making $4.50 an hour. My first child cost $4,800. So now I'm about $12,000 or so $1,000 in debt, making $4.50 an hour, driving an F-85 Oldsmobile 1965 that I paid $200 for. In every year of my life, as I 
stayed committed. Oh, I was tempted. I was tempted to sell out. I was tempted to go, you know what, God? You aren't taking care of us. You aren't coming through on your end of the deal. And I'm sick and tired of waiting. And I could have gone a different direction in my life. I didn't. I kept making the kingdom of God my primary concern. I kept living for Him. And one day, God provided us a mobile home to live in. Free. Someone gave it to me. The library was $70 a month, 73 to be exact. It wasn't a fancy mobile home. It was, none of the windows would open. It was in the ghetto court in Ames, but it was a home, and we made the very best of it. And the carpeting that I put in Celeste and Jeremy's room, I got out of a dumpster. It was new carpeting. It was carpeting samples. And I took them home, and I stapled them to the floor. I made little bunk crib-sized bunk beds out of two-by-fours I found in another dumpster. And we lived our happy little life there. And each year, we just kept seeking the Lord. We just keep seeking the Lord. Every one of my children went to college. Didn't cost me a dime. And God has taken care of every single one of them. God has taken care of every single need we have. I bought my first house just a few years ago, and in about 10 years, it will be paid off. Because I went on the fast plan. I don't want them to get a lot of my money. And I got a 4.6% interest loan because I decided to pay it off soon. I've never been to college. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. In fact, when we got married... One side of the family hated my guts and gave us nothing. And my side of the family gave me $300. And then my father left my mom shortly after that. My honeymoon, I only went on one because of the money that was in the envelopes. And Kathy and I said, if there's no money in the envelopes, we won't go anywhere. We'll just go to our apartment. A friend loaned me his car to go on my honeymoon. Now, can you pl- plan wiser than that? Sure you could. Some of you prepared better. Some of you went to school. I was living in a different time. It was a different set of circumstances. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is this. I think it's safe to say, and I mean this in all humility, that I have and have had and experienced what most everybody I meet wants. A meaningful life, a wonderful wife, and wonderful kids. They grow up to love God and love you and straight-laced and doing the right things with their life. By all practical rights, if you look at the way the world does things, I should never be where I am today. I am here today because God kept His Word because I stuck to the path. I made the will of God my lifestyle and I made the kingdom of God my primary concern. And I have never deviated from that and I will not deviate from that. I will not deviate from that. True Christianity is found in this book. And you can have it. Christ can set you free from the constraints of this world. There are so many stories I could share with you tonight. Faith stories of how God provided for the real desires that I had in my life. For years and years and years, I desired a really nice guitar. I really loved music. It was going to be my life. When I was newly married, I didn't have a guitar. And I found this oak table and chairs at this 
old estate sale and I bought it and with my brother I refinished it and it turned out really neat and we, we ripped off the laminated top and underneath were pieces of knotty old oak and so we sanded it and then varnished it and it, it was very cool, rough. You just couldn't see it to you. Now they make them like that. They put holes in them. And they, but this was unique. About three years later, Kat and I were going to move to the place we were going to rent. Had a table and chairs. And a friend of mine, he had a guitar. His wife didn't pl- play. So I traded the table and chairs for this guitar. It was just a $150 Yamaha. But I always dreamed of something nicer. But I just kept following the Lord. I just left it to the side. And about five years ago, someone gave me they didn't know they gave me this. A $3,000 handmade Koa Wood classical guitar, which is just the kind I play a nylon string. I don't play the steel string. Koa Wood can only be gotten when a Koa tree falls in Hawaii and guitar companies make a bid on it because it's an, it's an endangered wood. And then, two years ago, one night someone knocked on the door I went out. I hadn't said a word to anybody about a guitar. And there on my porch is a brand new Taylor. And with that brand new Taylor classical, I made a CD that in a few weeks I want to give to you as a gift. And every aspect of that CD, I always dreamed maybe someday I could do something like this. The songs were a gift to me from God. The guitar was a gift. The artwork was a gift from a friend. And another friend, a brother, stepped forward and said to me, I didn't say a word about this. He said, Mark, Here's the money to pay for all the production of the CD. I could stand here tonight and tell you story after story after story after story of God's provision. But I won't tonight. Will you dare to go after that life? You have a chance. You have a chance right now as a young person to make different choices than your friends or than your relatives. You have a chance. Will you take it? Will you take it? Because God has this extraordinary life just waiting for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness, for your incredible blessings. You know, Lord, everything we have, every single one of us, everything we have, it's a gift from you. It's a gift from you. Every talent that we have, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, the personality that we have, the hands that we use to work with every day, the air that we breathe, the blood in our veins. I can honestly say, none of it I deserve, none of it I earned. You've given it all to me and I offer it back to you. It's a living sacrifice, Lord, to say thank you for what you've given to me. Some days, Lord, I just I sit in my chair at home tears in my eyes at how good you have been to me. The love that you've surrounded me with, the people that you've put in my life, the meaning and the purpose and the significance. Most of all, Christ yourself. And I want this for my dear brothers and sisters here tonight. You want this more than I could ever want it for them. They have to want it. They have to step out. They have to decide, I'm getting out on the boat and I'm going to walk on the water. The rest of the world stays in the boat. I don't want to be in the boat, Lord. I want to be on the water. I want that life of faith. I want that revolutionary life. 
I want a life that's invested in eternity. And I believe each person here wants the same. Give them the courage to do it, the will to do it, the wisdom to do it, and the faith to obey. In Jesus' name.